0: We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Moving Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. Now, are you ready to work? Somebody shout yes. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 1. Let's do the NIV version. Please do the NIV version. Read along with me. <clears throat> like, don't say it out loud. Let your eyes read along with me. First Samuel 15 and 1. We'll start there. Shout you got it when you get there. I need everybody there. The text is the point today. Let me see those eyes if you got it. Ooh, the left side is so much better than, I mean, sorry, yeah, the left side is so much better than the right side all the time. Y'all ready? All right, let's read. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came from Egypt. Verse 3, is our key. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you show kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Hevallah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good." These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. You felt the nasty on that? Samuel said, verse 17, Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission, the Lord Assign me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Our topic for a quick discussion, honestly a quick discussion, comes from verse 3. And the title is This God's Instruction is Destruction. Tell three people God's instruction God's is in destruction. I heard that one time. I need two more. I really want you today to to hear my heart. Yes. Um, I fear that today's so-called Christian is getting ready to experience God in a way that we never thought was possible because we won't obey. we've become become very comfortable with harboring sin but calling ourselves a saint. Now, I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying as it relates to sin. All of us deal with sin, but all of us don't harbor sin. Harboring means to protect, to give shelter to. We identify as Christians, but nothing about our life resembles Christ. And because of this blatant disregard to fully obey God's instructions, we have positioned him where he has to do something. Paul says something so powerful in the book of Colossians, his letter to the church. Um, I I have it up on the screen for you, Colossians 3.5. Watch the first words of this. He says, put to death. Somebody shall put to death. death. Watch what he says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, listen to him, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Anything that belongs to my earthly nature, which is dominated by sin, has to die. It has to die. If I claim to be one of his people, I claim to be a child of God, I I, I claim to be one of the righteous. Anything of my earthly nature has to die. And God's instruction is destruction. Every bit of it has to die. When I look at the landscape of the church, the makeup of the church, y'all, I'm t- I get nervous. Because I spend too much time in his word. And I know what he said about the things that we we're making okay in the church. I know what he said about the things that we've made ourselves okay with. And we are putting God in a position where he is going to have to respond to our blatant disobedience. He's going to have to do something about it. But just because of who he is, just because of his sovereignty and just because of his laws and decrees, he cannot lie. He cannot go back on his word. So he's going to have to address disobedience. Might I add blatant disobedience. There's there's not a parent in the room, not a parent in the room. If I told you to go wash the dishes. If I told you to clean your room, there's going to be some furniture moving. I mean, it just, it just, it has to happen because I just explained to you what I want from you. And if you determine you don't want to do it, you just put me in a position, no matter how much I love you, no matter how much, how cute you are, no matter how long you've been doing good, you've put me in a position that I have to address you. I got to address you. For the lack of a better term, I got to tighten you up. Now, it's one thing when I tighten you up. But it's a whole other thing when the CEO of heaven tightens you up. I am nervous. 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 From Saul's narrative, we're going to spend a couple weeks in it, but today I want to talk to you about three types of obedience that keeps us in a cycle of disobedience. What what do you call that? That's like a three types of obedience. Is it oxymoron? Three types of obedience that keeps us in a cycle of disobedience. Real quick, I want to give you these three. I'm going to pause. I'm going to say this again. Today, my entire sermon is about the text. I wanted wanted you to hear those words. Without me explaining it to you, you know what it says. So now, hear me on this. You're in a position where you have to make a decision. Without me giving you the three points, you're already at a point of decision. Either I'm going to fully obey or I'm going to disobey. I've been, I'm going to save some of my stuff for the next you know, couple of weeks, but, but incomplete obedience is still three types of obedience that keeps us in a cycle of disobedience. Let's go to verse 7, real quick. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur. Near the eastern border of Egypt, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Point number one. Well, the first type of obedience that keeps us in a cycle of disobedience is selective obedience. Somebody shout selective obedience. In verse 3, God tells Saul to go attack the Amalekites. And God is so good that he leaves no room for error. Um, He he not only tells him to go and attack the Amalekites but he tells them what the attack is supposed to look like. I'm going to pause right there and I'm going to pick back up. Um, this, this is going to help us parent a little bit better. Um, stop telling your kids to go clean the kitchen and then, get, and, and then turn around and, and jump on them when they don't clean it the way that you want them to clean it. I can't hold you accountable for something I didn't, I, I didn't give you detail for. What does cleaning the kitchen look like? Cleaning the kitchen looks like to me. Let me help y'all what cleaning the kitchen looks like to me. Cleaning the kitchen looks like to me, wash the dishes, wipe down the counters, sweep the floor, take out the garbage and put it in the garbage can. That is what cleaning the kitchen looks like to me, but for some reason when it comes to my children. (laughs) I cleaned up last night. Word, you cleaned up? That's what you call it, clean. We can't hold them accountable for information that we didn't give them. So stop getting mad at them. Stop addressing them. Stop beating them. Stop putting them on punishment because you failed to detail what you was looking for. God says, listen, I want you to go attack, and here's what attack looks like. God tells him exactly what he's supposed to do. But for some odd reason, instead of obeying God's instruction, He selectively obeys God's instruction. He attacks some and embraces others. He totally destroys some, but lets some live. Somebody said selective Obedience. obedience. We've developed this, hear me please. We've developed this very dangerous theology or understanding of God that makes us believe that we can selectively obey, hear me, God's inventoried word. We've developed this theology or this way of understanding God that makes us believe that we can selectively obey God's inventoried word. What's God's inventoried word? Um, uh, inventory are things that you receive. If I I go online and and, and I'm shopping for some sneakers and, and I click the button and I say I want that and there's one and it goes into my shopping cart, that means that that store has that in inventory. They've received it. I'm not talking about you selectively obeying words that you haven't heard or that you don't understand. I'm talking about you selectively obeying the words that you say that one was for me and you still don't do what it says. selectively oh he's preaching down my row and you was talking directly to me but you're still doing the same thing you did last week because you selectively obey God's word that is a dangerous place to be dangerous place to be oh selective obedience impacts more than just you watch this do y'all know who Jonah is okay God says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah, Jonah's like, no, I'm not going to live. God, I'm going to, to Tarshish. And he gets on the boat headed to Tarshish. He gets on the boat with these other men, and there's a storm that's about to kill them because Jonah is on the boat. Listen to me. There are storms in your life that other people are dealing with because you are the disobedient one on the boat. The marriage has a problem. The kids are having problems. You got problems on the job and things are not working out because disobedience has to get off the boat. God, I want to go to Tarshish. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Your selective obedience impacts, and it's so selfish. Oh, God, I'm giving. It, it, it is so selfish to think that what I do only impacts me. Everybody connected to you in some fashion is impacted by your disobedience. This church will be impacted by your disobedience. And I just got to be honest with you because I'm the shepherd of this house, I'm putting you off the boat if you want to be disobedient. I can't help it. Because if you want to play church, you can go do that someplace else. We're about your soul here. That's it. I really don't care about the new car or the new kicks or whatever. All I care about is you getting to new levels in Christ. That's it. That's the only thing that impresses me. But because we're so self-centered, We think, well, I can disobey, and it's not going to impact anybody else. But if you're a parent and you're disobedient and you're selectively obedient, selective obedience transfers from generation to generation. Oh, okay, I'm doing too much. Shout selective obedience. Let's go back to verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from to shore near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spare Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs. Everything that was good, they, these they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally Destroyed. The second type of obedience that keeps us in a cycle of obedience is unwilling obedience. Somebody shout out, willing unwilling obedience. Unwilling. The text shows us that Saul was not just being selectively obedient, but there were also areas where he was just simply unwilling. I know you said to destroy it, God, but I don't want to. It's not that I can't. It's not that I'm unable. I just don't want to. Verse nine says, and this is the part that that, that 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 caught me. Verse nine says that they spared, they spared, and kept the best of a bad thing. They spared everything that was good of a bad thing. I know God said to destroy it, but I justify keeping it by seeing the good in it. I know he said to destroy it. I know he said to stop it, but I can justify being in this relationship because I see the good in it. I know God told me to get off social media because it's not for me, but I can justify keeping it because I see the good in it. I know I don't honor God by smoking weed, but my anxiety's better when I smoke, so I justify keeping it. Listen to me. This was so uh, Eden-esque B- because. It wasn't, listen to me, y'all, it wasn't until Eve saw the good and the thing that God called bad that everything was destroyed. Listen to me, you have to stop justifying your disobedience. You have to stop justifying your disobedience. Because here's the thing, if you look at anything long enough, it cracks me up. If you look at anything long enough, you can find something good in it. He was so ugly before, girl, but the more he around me, (laughs) girl, (laughs) he kind of cute now. (laughs) Listen, the longer you look at a thing, the longer you hang around a thing, regardless of how bad it is, you're going to find some good in it. Stop justifying your disobedience by finding the good in it. listen to me, some of you are in relationships that you know you shouldn't be in because he said he loved me. Some of you are in circles that you know that you shouldn't be in because they accept me. You can justify anything. How can you look at it? You ever do this thing as a kid? Um, you ever like find a picture on the wall, and you lock eyes with the person in that picture, and it feels like that person is looking at you no matter where you go. Yes. You ever did that as a kid? Like the longer you look at it, the longer it becomes true. It's like they're looking at me. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like the more angles you take, they just keep looking at me. Why they keep looking at me? That is what we do with sin. when you lock eyes with sin it's like okay this don't feel good but the more you keep looking at it, okay we we vibing now we're good i know it's not right but it feels okay it feels fine and and here's the thing god's instruction is destruction to your sin there's no you should not be comfortable in sin whatsoever I'm not saying, and I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying, I'm not saying that we all don't battle with sin because we all fall short of the glory of God. I'm not saying that all of us deal with sin, but when I start making my sin okay because I find the good in it, get this third and last point. You know what cracks me up? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, let me get this last point. I'm done. I wanted to be short today. I think I was short today, maybe. Um, Paul says to the Colossian church, <clears throat> this cracks me up about us because we all in this together. You know what I'm saying? Regardless of how you rock or not. If you call yourself a Christian, you down with me. It is what it is. Um, Paul says, he goes to the list. I'm, oh, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. Let's go back to it. Colossians 3, five. He says, uh, I think I'm going to read it. There it is. Nope. Right there. Verse 8. He says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And filthy language from your lips. I read that, and I said to myself, there are Christians that try to convince me that it's okay to cuss. Like, you would like to debate with me to say, ah, Pastor there. don't say you can't cuss. He just went as granular as filthy lips. So if filthy lips ain't okay, then cussing Christians ain't okay. This is way too much for y'all today. (laughs) I'm telling you. Okay. All right, let's get this last one. Let's push. We're going to get out of here. Uh, let's go to verse nine. Are y'all learning anything? Let's go to verse nine. Y'all here? Y'all at verse nine? Did I lose you? Are you lying? (laughs) Um, But Saul, verse nine, but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle. The fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Third and final type of obedience that keeps you in a cycle of obedience is self-serving obedience. Say that with me, self serving. Obedience. Obedience. <clears throat> Mm-mm. You mark that up. Okay, let's get for real. Um, growing up in, in, in Syracuse, Syracuse, New York, um, we had these things called the Empire State Games did y'all have that in, in, in the city, Empire State, no? Um, we had these things called Empire State Games, and um, it was basically like a amateurs, real amateur, parks and rec, track and field competition. And um, in case you I mean, I didn't have this, this physique Always growing up, you know what I'm saying. It wasn't. I wasn't always this way. You know, when I was a little bit younger, I was chubbier, um, and and I wasn't athletic and that kind of thing. Now, don't get it twisted. I became a dope. I was a killer. I, it was what it was when I got of age. But when I was younger, um, I wasn't athletic. I wasn't inclined. I just didn't know it. But I wasn't athletically inclined, so to speak. And um, I had gone to the park one summer morning, and I had gone there just to go to do. Um, you know, play uh, foosball. That's what I want to go play. Play foosball. Who plays foosball? Anyone play foosball? That's an old person's game maybe? Ah, yes. Um, went down there to play foosball and said, hey, we're getting ready to go to the Empire State Games. Do you want to go? And I'm like, well, I don't know what it is. But, yeah, I want to go. So I ran home with this, this, uh, this, this uh, sign-up sheet. I took it to my mom and she signed it. And she, I don't know why she signed it. She had no idea where I was going. But she signed it and <laughs> I ran back to the park. And I got on a bus, and we went to, um, I don't even remember the school, but it was a long ways away. But We went to the school. (coughs) And when we get there, um, they say, okay, well, what event are you going to compete in? And I'm like, "Um, hmm. (laughs) Um, long jump. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the long jump. Cool. I've never long jumped a day in my life. But I said, I'm going to do it. So I get out there. And y'all, I went out there and long jumped, and I got a gold medal. Y'all hating. Y'all ain't clapping for me. I got a gold medal. You mad because you ain't got no gold medal. Got me a gold medal. Put my gold medal on in that bus, and I went home, and I showed everybody at my house that I had won a gold medal. Don't be judging me, because this is... I'm not going to tell you if you say you ain't going to judge me. Say you ain't going to judge me. I need you to say it louder. Because you know how y'all be sometimes. I did get a gold medal. I got a gold medal. I don't know where it's at, but I got the gold medal. But the thing I never told everybody (laughs) was that I was the only one Competing, <laughs> I was the only one competing in the long jump. Killed, I killed that day, y'all. So here's my thing. <laughs> I can't tell y'all nothing. That's the thing. I'm going to stop telling you. It's like, that gold medal gave me credit for something that I really didn't do. I did it, but I didn't do it. And that's the same thing that self-serving obedience does. Self-serving obedience creates this false sense of reality that I'm obeying God's instruction when truly I am serving myself by obeying what he says. I see the benefit. This serves me. This is good for me. Who wouldn't destroy what they despised and what they didn't like and what they didn't want? Let me tell you something. An atheist would do that. You don't need instruction from God to say, yo, this don't feel good to me. I don't want that. And you give yourself credit for saying, God, I'm for you. I'll die for you. I'll rock with you and all that. But truly, you're serving yourself by obeying what he says. Anybody would get rid of those things. And when it comes to a space where I can no longer serve myself, and he's starting to say, sacrifice yourself. It's at that point i got to find another God. Somebody shout self-serving. self-serving. Obedience. Yes. I'm going to tell you how, how this shook me. <clears throat> I've been out for a couple weeks. And it's a good and a bad thing when my mind is just able to just go. In scripture, because I'd be all over the place. I'd just be studying, 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 all over the place. And I had locked in on this one text. I'm like, "This is what we're talking about." As a matter of fact, I'm gonna develop this into a series, and this is gonna be good, and this, that, and the other. And I was going through my notes. I use Evernote. Does anybody else use Evernote? Yeah. Evernote. Evernote's dope. It's better than like the the generic note. You generic note users. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I had a note in my Evernote from 2016, and it was this text. I'm like, well, I wrote this down, and when I, when I went to go read it, I said, God, that's why you had me write that down in 2016, so, so I could preach it in the day that it's necessary. Because the text mirrored my concern for the church. We have lost all desire to obey God's word. All desire. Because to be honest with you, it's we're a self-serving culture. We're... We, 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 we're a do-it-yourself kind of culture, you know what I'm saying? It's like that is the wave of, of, of where everything is headed. And the problem is, is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and he does not change about what he's instructed us to do, and his instructions are to us destruction. I abhor sin is what God says. I can't stand sin. I love you, but I can't stand sin. And when you start to harbor sin, you're making me have to do something. I have no choice but to do something. I don't know what other churches are preaching. I know that there are more intelligent, there are are more entertaining preachers out there. But as for me in this house... We're going to do a 100, 100. It is what it is. So if you feel a bit uncomfortable, that was my intention today. Because here's the thing. Sometimes you won't change until you're uncomfortable. You needed to hear the words that I just spoke so that you know what you're doing is not on God's agenda. And he wants more for you. He loves you, but he can't stand it. And and, and you're putting God in the position where he's going to have to do something. Here's the thing. When God moves, there's no prayer that can help you. Don't come asking Pastor Wanzell. Don't go ask the church to pray. Because here's the thing. Once I put myself in the path of God's wrath... Who am I to stand against him? For the church, his instruction is destruction. Stand to your feet. Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.